Lucky sniffs diapers. <laughs> no, I sniff your mother's underwear, bro. Ooh, that's fucked up. You mean at the swap meet? After a long day in the swap meet. <laughs> I was going to say, is that before or the after sniff? You got to sniff it after, bro. It's like, I think there's rules of sniffing mother's underwear. Yeah. Here we go. It's game time, fellas. Let's go. Las reglas. What's up, you're on Hoodstock. Blowing clouds of the booth. Woof. You gotta be Woof. that dude. Uh. Is at the door now. They trying to run up in. I am not a guppy shark. Stash everything. Dope in the pussy like a B of A deposit. Baby girl robotic. She gang bang robotics. Hang with the rules or you gotta pull your weight. Pull the biggest tool. Keep one in the chain. This is not a date. Dance with the Mex. Get your face in the cake. Yeah, the devil's pressed me and I'll go and get his way. I get a lot of uh, questions. Uh, a lot of people ask what song that is. That is The Devil's Game by myself and Nate uh, No Face. Big shout out to Nate No Face, man. He's coming up right now. Um, if you guys are not familiar with Nate No Face, uh, don't sleep on the homie. The homie is, uh, man, he is uh, something special. He's an artist, and I, I love everything about him. Why? Because he is himself, and he he's not going with the, the normal stuff that's out there. You know what I mean? Uh, but anyways, uh, welcome to Hoodstocks, everybody. Uh, Saturday afternoon, baby. Um, today's podcast is brought to you by www.50racks.com. Um, basically, at, at 50 Racks, uh, you can purchase all Hoodstocks merch right there. You know, we have shot glasses, hats, T-shirts, and everything that is uh, purchased off uh, the website is put back into this podcast. You know, it's basically put back into the merch. That's kind of the way it goes, you know pays itself and it recycles itself and then it gives us uh, a position and opportunities to expand and you know venture out to different uh, products for you guys you know what I mean um, let me get over here real quick um, let's say so today's guest is Hoodstock's most featured guest in our small history of existence you know what I mean about two years we're about two years old 
excuse me. Um, uh, this guy right here, man, is amazing. I want you all to give a warm welcome back, uh, criminal defense attorney Nicholas Rosenberg. Let's go, baby. Hey, so lucky, you know, I'm glad you're blessing me. This is the third time on the show. Uh, everybody's going up, 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 and up. Yes, sir, dog, including yourself, bro. You know what I mean? While you have been out there uh, fighting crime, you know, is <laughs> that, it, would it be called fighting crime or fighting? That's what the cops do, bro. Yeah. Hudas, that's what the hudas that's the do. Who, that's the, my bad, bro. While you've been <laughs> out there, well, you could be fighting crime because it is illegal to put a case on an innocent man, right? I, I think there's a backside to that when the government is up to something. So I do, I do play prosecutor sometimes. So I got you on that. You're always punching back, as you can see. And I seen in the beginning too of the uh, podcast, bro. You were uh, busting out the moves. Do you are those your dance moves? Uh, like if I go to a club, <laughs> is that how you're dancing at a club? Uh, so <laughs> it depends on what club it is, right? Yeah, absolutely, bro. So uh, yeah, so what what kind of clubs do you like, bro? Uh, the clubs that I like to usually are outside of Los Angeles because, you know, you can kind of drop your guard, have fun. I'm a big fan of overseas. Overseas, that's where, you know, that's where Rosenberg can get down. <laughs> Catalina <laughs> Island, baby. Well, that's, that's more like a straight. That's more like a channel to me. But I got you. I see you. My, my type of clubs are fucking Sam's clubs, homie. <laughs> are, are you talking about the Costco thing, or are you talking about the strip club? What? Everybody give it up for Casey, baby. Yeah. Co-host, baby. Co-host. talking about the Costco thing. Oh, okay. Because we got, Sam, we got Sam's down the street, right? You know what I mean? The strip club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if your mom's ever let you go to that uh, place. I've never been to strip club. My first time getting a lap dance was here. Damn, bro. You know what I mean? So yeah. we are a part of... Uh, you know, I mean, just corrupting this innocent little boy right here. Yeah. I mean, all yeah. right. All yeah. Right. I mean, hey, uh, Lucky, can I get to a couple of quick shout outs? Absolutely. Before we bro. Get, yeah, get let's, deep? let's go. Let's go. All baby. right. So first of all, for those of you who know the real Dinero, uh, he's dropping some dope merch. I got a preview copy. So look out for that. Real Dinero on Instagram. Uh, if you like to play basketball, it's a basketball jersey. I'm sporting some of my new merch. I don't know if you can see it. And then that's the front. Here's the back uh, with the phone number. And the front is Attorney Rosenberg punching back. So here, I'm gonna bless you, my man. You like water bottles. Here's a water bottle, aluminum, bam, it's all you. Absolutely, dog, I appreciate it, dog. And you know, merch is, uh, merch is always good to have, especially to give back to your client when you done lost the case. <laughs> hey, my bad, dog. Here's some merch. Well, okay. So in that case, I'm gonna fill it with some of this cerveza, uh, <laughs> and we had because obviously bomb. he's had too much. <laughs> no, we had some bomb mezcal over there, but we don't want to talk about it. But you just did. Yeah, that's you know what. There's a someone I follow on Instagram. She says, "Tell me, without telling me." I think some people might call that dry snitching. So. Dry snitching, first of all, my hearing aid suddenly went out when you mentioned the <laughs> snitch word. I don't know about that. Dry snitching. I'm uh, not calling her a snitch, but I'm, yeah, I'm making yeah. a joke at No, me, I know. Yeah. I, I got you, bro. Yeah, I don't know her, bro. To me, dry snitching is when the CEOs or the deputies are there and somebody blah, 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 and they know that they can hear it. That's what I understand. With the upstairs neighbors snitching on your fun to the fucking landlord. 
something like that, possibly. Would you like to share a story with us, Casey? Well, yeah, every fucking day. Dog, I'd be trying to just live my life. I'm over here working, taking pictures, doing all shit I got to do. Claw, 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 claw. I'm like, who the fuck is this? Got the backdrop. It pulls the backdrop back up, and I'm like, what the fuck? And it's fucking Chiona upstairs. Is that right? Yeah, and then the fucking landlord calls me. Hey, you, boy, boy, you have to. I'm like, what? I don't know what to do. Speechless. 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 So, so, I'm so, like, so it's the dude up top, and I mean, during these photo shoots, what kind of photo shoots are they? Or is it a bunch of naked dudes? You know what I mean? Acting rambunctious. Well, um, actually, shout out to the home, shout out to the homie, fucking Drew, and some like clothing. We're actually shooting some uh, strippers, topless. What did he say? Drool and come drunk clothing? <laughs> what did he say, bro? I said, shout out to me Drew with some light clothing. Oh, my bad. Shout out to them them guys right there. You know what I mean? But, yeah, so, I mean, that's days of my life, dude. So. Yeah, that sucks, dog. I mean, there's always, uh, there's there's Mexican. I mean, if, if it's so, the, the white version is Karen. The Mexican is what? Jose? Yeah, Jose. That's Jose. his fucking name, too. Is that his name, too? <laughs> but we call him Chion because he always Chion? be crying. Yeah, absolutely, Doug. Well, let's go. Lagrimas, give. lagrimas. Rosenberg, yes, last sir. time you were on Hoodstocks, I mean, this is your third time. I mean, you're the most featured guest on this podcast, and it, it kind of makes sense, right? You know what I mean? Shit. Mm -hmm. You know, why would we have a podcast full of fucking criminals without a criminal defense lawyer? You know what I mean? <laughs> the, the, we got to keep right. a balance around here, baby. Well, I would say one word. In one word, I would say Allegedly. Well, you know what it is? Absolutely, allegedly, bro. But we, let me tell you this right now, dog. You know what I mean? We have cats that have been convicted of crimes. And, and so I always tell the fellas, check it out. Tell the stories that you've been convicted of, bro. You know what I mean? You know, without convicting yourself or mm -hmm. catching another case on top of the conviction. But, you know, that's, that's what we do right here. So allegedly, as someone that is under investigation, it possibly has a case pending against them. So then that's why you got to use those, those terms and not. But it, it makes sense that we have you on because you are the reasoning. You give reason to some of the madness right here. You know what I mean? You give a balance. And, and, I, and I really appreciate you, brother. You know what I mean? I really appreciate you taking the time out your busy schedule, dog. You know what I mean? To, to, to come and, and to answer some of our questions, bro. Sure. So when you mentioned the word investigation, the first thing that popped into my head, uh, I'm just dropping it. It's going to turn into a shirt, a little merch line. But what I tell my people, are you under investigation? Are the detectives coming around? Are they leaving business cards? Are they going to your job? You want to say this with me now? I have no statement. I want my lawyer. I have no statement. I want my lawyer. Part two of that is if you happen to get locked up and they put you in the tank at the station, okay. same thing applies. I have no statement. And you're not going to say that you want your lawyer because you already got your lawyer right here. Because sometimes, as everybody in this room knows, they are having narcs and undercovers in there, snitches, and they will be recording you. And trust me when I say, in some of my cases, that's the primary piece of evidence against my client. Oh, damn. So what happens when they when you when you say you have no statements and then the police officers hold up two of your baby kids and they say are you sure about that? Yeah, ah, daddy, daddy. No, no tengo nada. I got nothing <laughs> for you, bro. I don't give a shit. They can lie to you. They can say, hey, bro, you know we got you on camera, man. We just want you to tell us your side. It doesn't work like that for me and my clients. Yes, yeah. and as, as as it who is hold on a second, bro. Hold on a second. We no, just do got, not disturb. We we just got into this, and for some reason, this individual could not stop calling. Hey, I'm sorry, man. I'm I'm on my lunch break, and this is the only opportunity I have for me to ask a very important question. 
What's your very important question? All right, man. Super random, but check this out. Juvenile felonies, right? Following me as an adult. Is there any opportunity for me to get back my gun rights? So it's only recognized by federal. The state of California says I'm okay. So any opportunity to get that back? If I have your question correctly, you had a felony petition sustained against you when you were a juvenile. Is that right? Yeah, convicted, everything. What uh, type of uh, felony was that? Assault with deadly weapon. Okay, so basically in the adult side, that would be considered a strike. Did you go to what we used to call YA and now we call DJJ, Department of Juvenile Justice? No, I went to uh, San Diego County, it's called Camp Barrett. Okay, so you got camp like one year? Correct. Okay, so after you reached the age of majority, AKA 18, did you take steps to file the petition to have that sealed? No, but I was told that automatically it would be erased and expunged. I had a talk with my old probation officer. They said I'm fine. I actually went to register a firearm and I got a letter back saying that I was a felon willingly and knowledgeably trying to purchase a firearm. Yeah, so uh, the act of doing that sometimes can be criminalized. Here's what I would do. What I would do and what I've told other people to do is that right now, believe it or not, the public defenders uh, have a budget and they are assisting folks. So my suggestion would be make a call to San Diego County public defenders or alternate public defenders if you have a conflict and just say, hey, I want to seal my record. I want to see if I can get a 17B or the equivalent reduction to a misdemeanor. There's case law in California that says that even if you had a felony, as long as it's a wobbler, meaning it can be both felony flavor or misdemeanor flavor, and you did not uh, go to prison on it, then by operation of law, when it's reduced to a misdemeanor, and then what they call expunged in that metaphysical moment, then you get your gun rights back. So I would try that and it'll save you some money uh, and hopefully you'll be able to achieve your goal with that. Sounds good. Well, thank you very much for your guys' time. I appreciate you guys taking my phone call. Thank Absolutely, you. bro. Have a good day at work, bro. All right. It seemed like his call was coming out of one. Uh, yeah, it was, like it was coming out of one side, bro. He probably had the uh, his, uh, I don't know. Maybe Cricket a, wireless? Possibly, dog. Possibly. <laughs> um, but um, Rosenberg... You've always come and blessed our platform, bro. I'm very uh, grateful, appreciative of you, bro. There's not a lot of, I mean, I think it's becoming, I mean, you're a smart dude, bro. You're a smart dude, you know what I mean? Why would you not come bless Hoodstocks, bro? When, uh, you know what I mean? Because, you know, potentially it, it, it can uh, generate some business for yourself, you know what I mean? So it, it makes sense, hand in hand, right, baby? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, the first time I rolled out to the Inland Empire area and parked and saw the pad, it was all new to me, you know, I'm like, okay, lucky, we're trying to do this. We sat down, you made me feel comfortable. Thank you for dropping we, a we pin, got bro. into it. Thank you for dropping the pin. For where? Go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> okay, I'm like, uh, okay, so what I'm saying is the first time I was on the show, it yeah. was Labor Day. It was in Pomona, The yeah. physical Labor Day itself, not the weekend. Oh, you remember and that, yeah. of course, I pulled yeah. up, we went in, we went to the back. Uh, it was a little different setup. I definitely see the progress and the appreciation of what you're doing. 
And, you know, we riffed. I think that was a three-hour session. Yeah. So I was kind of surprised. But if you know me as a lawyer, I can talk all day. I can do the Senate filibuster. That's what you do, baby. So yeah. second time, it was, it was a very tense time uh, in the city in California. We're in the middle of pandemic. I want to say it was a, like April. We were talking about martial law. People were real concerned about what's going to happen with the trajectory of the pandemic. And we talked about that. Yeah. So for today, I kind of feel like, I don't know if I'm a veterano, but I kind of feel like, you know, I've been in it and you're, you're you know, pro, yeah, you're a pro. I mean, you're, you're, you, you, now you, I mean, you've been blessing us, bro, but no matter what, bro, if you can, if you can handle a courtroom, that, that platform right there, bro, you know what I mean? And stand up and speak freely and, 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 you know what I mean? When you're fighting for another man's case and this right here is cake, baby. You know what I mean? This is cake right here, right? And it's a cakewalk. But yeah, we've, we've, we've ventured off to a couple different uh, areas of, of topics. And uh, today we have you back uh, just to kind of like talk a little bit about what's going on with you, uh, what's going on with you personally, uh, your cases, the climate, you know, that we're in right now, because it's always a different climate, it seems like, right? For sure. So the first thing is, is just judging by my DMs and what people want to talk about. Uh, the first thing, obviously, we have a new deputy, uh, district attorney, George Gascon. I can't tell you how many DMs and texts I get about what are his charging policies. This is what I think is going on in the dorm. I hear stuff like, hey, Rosenberg, there's no more strikes, bro. Hey, Rosenberg, there's no gang enhancements. Rosenberg, they're not filing gun enhancements. And that has been a recurring theme. Uh, George Gascon took office December 7th, and he came in kind of hard with a policy of reform. And I believe at the time he really wanted to achieve that. He instructed his deputy district attorneys, the rank and file prosecutors, the ones that are suing him in civil court, and make sure we get back to that. He, for cases that were already filed, he told his DAs, look, you guys got to file motions to dismiss. Let's dismiss strike priors. Let's dismiss the enhancements and let's do that. <clears throat> so the pendulum was quite, kind of swinging towards our people. Then what happened is a lot of judges were denying these, so the pendulum started going back. In February, <clears throat> there was a judge uh, in civil court, Stanley Mosk, who basically said temporarily, he issued a temporary injunction. He ordered George Gascon and his lawyers to file the strike priors and to allege the special circumstances. So that was kind of a big hit pendulum going the other way. So people say, okay, Rosenberg, what's happening now? All you're doing is confusing us. <clears throat> I'm gonna use one of my cases as an example. It was initially filed as a gang murder with firearm, and then <clears throat> those enhancements were never dismissed for a variety of reasons. I don't wanna give out too many details, but my client was let out of custody and he came back about three weeks later. So when he came back three weeks later, the DA had filed a new case on him, including gun enhancements and gang enhancements. So right there in March, the D head DA said, hey, we're not gonna file these on our own. And then bam, I have a new one in March. I did a preliminary hearing with that client, first degree murder with gang enhancement. I got the judge to toss out the gang enhancement. So you would think we would be in the clear? No, because the DA, after we do a prelim, we take a two week break. I think of that as the kickoff of the third quarter. The DA realleged the gang enhancement that I got dismissed. So what I'm really saying is every single case is different. It's case by case. So please, the guys in the dorm, 
please don't say, hey, Rosenberg, there's no strikes, there's no gun enhancements, there's no strike priors, because really, it's case by case. It's case by case. So depending on, uh, depending on who's in that courtroom, huh? What city you're in. If you're in CCB, if you're in a no-walk court, if, <laughs> no you, if you're in, a, I mean, depending on the courthouse you are in, they, are, they have what? The liberty to enforce what they want to enforce or let slide, better lack of words, what they want to let slide? I mean, what is it, bro? How does that work? Again, to anonymize things, I'm not going to get super specific, but this is what I can tell you. Uh, I have filed petitions to resentence. In other words, the prior district attorney's regime under Jackie Lacey filed charges, and then the head DA changed those charging policies. So I filed motions to have my client resentenced, and some judges have said, Rosenberg, you don't have standing as a defense lawyer to do that, meaning I won't even accept your paper. There are judges who have had a lot of resentencing uh, petitions, and they've been denying them. So I really want to emphasize it is a case-by-case -case yeah. situation. Absolutely, man. It just depends on uh, what side the uh, uh, nominated individuals in that particular courtroom, what side they stand on. Are they on the Gascon side? Or are they on the opposition side, correct? Politics. Well, so, you know, there's politics, there's judicial politics in the state system. Everybody knows, pretty sure that they run for office in the federal system. Once a district court or court of appeals judge is appointed, they serve for life. So as soon as a district court judge is appointed, unless they do some crazy mm -hmm. stuff like rob 7-Eleven with an AR-15 ghost gun, mm -hmm. they're gonna stay in that position. That was a joke, by the way. Yeah, no, it was a good <laughs> joke too, dog. It was a good joke, bro. I mean, lawyers have jokes that, there you go, thank you, bro. Thank you, dog. I was, I was gonna do that myself. I mean, lawyers have uh, very, I noticed with lawyers, they have their own sense of humor and amongst their own kind. If there was a bunch of lawyers in here, they would have all fell out their seat right now. Well, so this is what I always say about that, is the cases I do are very often life in prison. Yeah. Um, so it's not, it's not the kiddie pool, it's basically deep ocean. But I try and have what we call gallows humor, meaning I'm looking for some funny stuff as I'm telling people the charges, the impact. So uh, I think I agree with you, but this is what happens in my meetings. I usually tell people, okay, look, I'm not funny. I know I'm not funny, but I think I'm funny. And then everybody starts laughing. So that's <laughs> all I can tell you. <laughs> you, you most definitely, bro, got uh, one, a one of a kind personality, bro. You know what I mean? Just the way I think, I, you, know what I, you know what I was thinking? I was thinking when you started off, bro, that when you, when you are talking about the pendulum swinging to the other side and bop, 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 I said, you know, one day, uh, and you know, you, you, you're, you're climbing the ranks, baby. You're winning cases, you know what I mean? Your notoriety is, your stock is booming. You know, but I think one day, bro, there will be a comedian that will <laughs> <laughs> that will impersonate you, bro, and it will okay. be hilarious. And I think you'll love it, bro. You know what I mean? For sure. Yeah. For sure. But um, I have a, your homie voice sounds like uh, one of my homies. Right. Well, it sounds just like the homie Chooch, the singer, uh, the lead singer Croods. Your, your his homie voice sounds just like Chooch. That's how he talks. Hey, Rosenberg. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly yeah. how. So I can, I can tell you how I got exact, to that. Exact um, same sound. 
So I, when I first started out, I was in the valley walking around the courthouse. I met some of the guys and through that started to network out. San Fernando, not gonna say a specific area, but there's a guy that we used to call Little Boy. And Little Boy was one of my first guys who kind of championed my law firm. And he would always pull up and say, hey, Rosenberg, this case is bullshit, bro. They don't got shit. <laughs> so that is the voice. Unfortunately, RIP, something happened October 14th, uh, 2014. So if you know, you know. If you don't, I'm not going to tell you. But what I am trying to say is that the memory of that client and the work that he did putting me out there in the neighborhood, he would say, Rosenberg, I'm going to make you famous, but you'll never be as famous as me. So RIP, little boy, shout out to uh, Black and Yellow. Absolutely, RIP, little boy. You know what I mean? Um, if you, you know what, I have a question for you. Sure. A weird question. If, if you were ever in the L.A. County Jail, who would you be running with? <laughs> so the car I would be in would probably be a royal blue and white Chevy Caprice Super Sport. <laughs> <laughs> you are funny, bro. You are funny. Good answer, bro. Politically correct, baby. Politically correct. Good answer. Good answer. If you were in the county jail, would you hire yourself? So let me just <laughs> rewind 10 seconds of video and give my boy Money Don't Sleep a shout out, uh, peace. And I think he, one day, I don't know, maybe he'll be on the show. Who knows? Yes. So um, I think I would hire myself, but I think I would make myself a gorgeous bilingual Latina, because I think that if that person defended you, I think, and they had the same, you know, attributes, I think that would be a killer combination. Absolutely, absolutely. So you're saying that even in the courtroom, the court law of the United States of America, sex still sells, baby. Well, I think that if you're doing a jury trial, one of the most important things is you want your jury engaging with you. So I believe that one of the best combinations is a male attorney who has certain attributes and then a female attorney with certain attributes because then you've got the left and the right. So you want that, you want that team, that dream team. Absolutely. I would hire that team. When I, if I ever go south, I'll hire that team. You will hire that team. I mean, so when you go, when you go into a courtroom, a heavy case, which are the cases that you are most known for, right? Um, do you have, do you go in with a team or are you, are you the team? The answer to that is that um, I've done co-counsel cases. We can talk about the verdict that we had with uh, Rodriguez Landa, uh, AKA FOX. But the way I do my cases is it's not just me in there. I usually use expert witnesses. So we investigators, experts. So we end up building up a team in uh, United States, the defendant does not have to proactively put on a case. But what I've learned over the years is that my jury wants to see Rosenberg put on evidence. They want to see experts. They want me to put some points up on the board. And then remember, a lot of my clients will never be able to testify, can't take the stand, cannot be cross-examined. So to put on my evidence and create reasonable doubt, I will put on my team members uh, gang experts, identification experts, ballistic experts, um, all types of experts that we get into. So when you when you were on that floor, bro, all eyes on you, judge, prosecutors, you know, uh, defendant, with all the above, bro. What what is your and you're talking to the jury, bro? I mean, do you get nervous, bro? 
you ever get nervous? I think the way trials are set up, um, it's kind of like a first date in a way. So you have some, you're getting your energy, there's a lot of uncertainty, you're picking your jury. But in the course of it, you go and calm down and get in your zone. So by the time the jury is sworn, you know who those folks are, and then you get to just go in your zone. Do you have a routine that you do the night before when you know you're going you're, you, to trial in the morning, baby? This is for all the marbles right here. Do you have, do you have like something that you do, bro, prior the night before, the morning into as you're walking into the court that you do, bro? Well, besides getting at Conejo to use the voodoo. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I want to make sure that I have my cart, all my materials, I have my exhibits, I know where they are, my binder is straight. I use a system that I use uh, to pick a jerk. So I want everything set up and it's just like, you know, put on your shoulder pads, put on the helmet, make sure the mouth guard's tight, cleats are tight, and then let's go. It's game time, baby. Right. It's game time, I like that, I like that. When, you, when you're on that floor, bro, and you're speaking to a, a, a jury, right, of individuals, regular folk that are, are summoned to a jury's duty, right? You know what I mean? There's, some of them are pissed off about having to be there, but they're there. I mean, when you, you gotta read who you're talking to, I mean, do you ever just find that one person that you lock eyes with, or do you make sure you lock eyes with every single one of them? I mean, what is the, you sure. know, what's the method to it, bro? Let's go behind the scenes, backstage a little bit during the portion of a trial that we call voir dire. Uh, voir dire basically means uh, calling out. So what happens is the judge has 100 people in the courtroom, they file in, nobody wants to be there, right? Who wants to be there? Does the defendant want to be there? No. Does the bailiff want to be there? No. Do the jurors want to lose wages and lose their time and not be able to pick up their kids and be there? No, no, and no. So when we're picking a jury, we're focused on the juror that we're questioning. But we also need to be aware, as you say, um, you know, the expression I think is que onda. I want to see the vibe. What's up with the vibe? This juror, as soon as the judge said first degree murder with firearm and gang enhancement, inevitably people in the jury box, they turn and they look at my client and then they look at me. And what they're thinking is Rosenberg, are you serious, bro? What are you doing on this case? So part of picking a jury is being sensitive to emotions and vibes. I did a case that was alleged to be uh, a Latino brown defendant and the victim who was the decedent was African-American or black. And I ended up keeping three African-American jurors on that and most people say, Rosenberg, are you crazy? What about somebody identifying with the victim? And what ended up happening is it was the greatest thing that I did on that case because my foreperson ended up being African-American. He was a computer guy. And there was one juror in particular that hailed from Chicago. And I remember I just got this intense vibe, leave her on your jury. And part of my defense was sloppy crime scene from LAPD. And that's the one where we beat the first degree gang murder in a neighborhood uh, in South LA. So it really matters how you pick your people in the box. Yeah, do, I mean, do you ever get, do you ever get any uh, like, you know, uh, how do you say it, bro? Uh, any negative uh, backlash from LAPD being the fact that you kind of represent, 
you know, these individuals, you know, I mean, you see them on, or is it just all business, bro? You know what I mean? Like, hey, you doing your job, I'm doing my job, bro. Hey, we good, we can have a fucking drink after after all this shit is done. You know what I mean? I, I mean, it's it's kind of like a hard, for a person in, 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 in your place, bro, you're kind of like on the fence, but you have an obligation to your client. But at the, at the end of the day, these are professionals, you know what I mean? Regardless of if they're not doing their job professional or not, you know what I mean? I'm just saying, you know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's, you're, you're kind of like you're in a tough position, right? You know? So the answer to that is the philosophy that I have is basically, you know, we're playing the same sport, but different jersey. And that's how I like to think about it. In my view, if the prosecutor and law enforcement can ethically prove beyond a reasonable doubt, which is so high it's not even in the frame, highest standard in any court of law, then under our system, they're entitled to their verdict, but we have cases that are reversed on appeal for all types of reasons. We have cases that are sent back. So that's what I believe in. That's our judicial system. So I'm not saying that everybody out there is unethical and a crook. What I am saying is that if jurors are not persuaded beyond a reasonable doubt, then guess what? We get the not guilty and we should keep that win. So absolutely, that's my philosophy on yeah, that. You, I mean, you shouldn't have to pay for it as soon as you pull out the motherfucking parking lot. And next thing you know, you're happen to be getting a traffic ticket for speeding. You know what I mean? You were just pulling. I'm just making a joke. Right. But here we are, uh, Los Angeles. Uh, what is it? July? What's it? Was it 10th? Yep. Today's the 10th. July the 10th. Year to date, we have uh, the uh, crimes. Uh, the shootings have gone up 50 percent since last year. Um, we have 162 homicides, roughly, and we have uh, 651 victims shot year to date here in Los Angeles. Um, you know, it's, uh, there's a lot going on right here, bro. You know what I mean? And uh, as for a criminal defense lawyer, um, uh, business is booming, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, so let me say a couple of things about rising uh, homicide rates based upon uh, firearms. So the first thing is that for any of us that were in L.A., uh, I'll just pick the year 1992. I was definitely here after the incident with Rodney King and the street activity. Uh, all my buddies were in film school. At that time, my hair was down here. I was one of those artsy dudes. So we got our camera packages and we went down. I got photos from 70th Street down there in Vermont. So that was a time in the early 90s, everybody knows that there was a spike in activity. It was very active. There's a lot of gun violence. And then that tapered down uh, for a variety of reasons. Right now, we do see an increase in firearm-related incidents. Um, I'd say about half of the police reports that I read right now, we've got ghost guns, P-80s, those are the nine millimeters, and then we've got a lot of ghost gun AR-15s. So I really think part of it is there's a lot more of that out on the streets. Cops are pulling people over. This is the reality, bro. I assume that almost every driver around me probably has a little heat in the car, and I try to drive accordingly. Yeah, I do. I do as well, bro. I used to gay. I used to engage in road rage until one day on a freeway after work, uh, some dude basically checked me, bro, on the freeway, dog. You know what I mean? And uh, you know, I. I calmed my shit down since then, bro. And I, that's just me being a motherfucking man about it, bro, and saying, hold on. You know what I mean? Uh, hey, you Tell know. Tell them about Lowe's. It, it, huh? Tell them about Lowe's. That was another incident. What bro. happened at Lowe's? Was it Home Depot or is it Lowe's? Lowe's, bro. It was Less a, Mexicans. <laughs> I'm pulling out of Lowe's. Okay. Um, 
I got some dude behind me, bro. And he's, he's on my bumper, bro. You know, he's on my bumper. He starts honking at me. And, um, you know, I pull, I pull to the side, bro. I don't even really want to tell this story, dog. But long story short, bro, this dude, this dude, I pulled to the side. I said, what's up, bro? And he just started popping off. Hey, bro. He was like an older homie and shit. And he's just like, hey, you fucking, you're on your fucking phone and bop, 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 and whoop-de-whoop-whoop. And I almost hit you, you know what I mean? And, you know, he almost rear-ended me because I was on my phone, you know what I mean? Might have been the other way around. I don't know, bro. You know what I mean? I'm not going to say who's right and who's wrong, but obviously the dude was livid. You know what I mean, he was very excited. You know, and I, you know, I was just there to grab a couple crates for some fucking shit, you know what I mean? And call it a night and go home and tuck my babies in and be good. But obviously this dude wasn't having the same kind of day I was having, you know what I mean? I do. And uh, so I, I pulled to the side and I said, and I let him come and I said, and, he, and I said, what's up, bro? And that's when he told me that and shit. And he goes, pop, 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 whoop, whoop, whoop. And I said, well, what's, 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 what's cracking, G, you know what I mean? And he said, oh, you don't blah, blah, blah. And I just, bam, I put, he threw this shit in park. And, and he didn't think that I was going to get off. I don't know. You know what it was? I was driving my girl's yeah, car. Right girls, yeah. I was in my girl's car. I was in this little female car, bro. You know what I mean? And so it, he didn't know who he was flexing on until I got out. I got out. The, we stopped. We stopped the fucking traffic from people going out of the parking lot. And I got off. And I said, hey, bro, calm your fucking old ass down, bro. I said, you ain't gonna do shit, you know what I mean? And I'm not trying to act big and bad, bro. But anyways, road, I just said I stopped road raging. But anyways, I wasn't. I, I try to defuse the situation, yeah. really, dog. Because you don't ever know what people are going through, bro. You don't know what people are going through. So unless you're willing to go all the way, because some of these cats, you know, <laughs> it's a little more than fucking road rage, honking the horn and a couple fucking F-bombs, you know what I mean? There's some cats that, that are willing to fucking, who knows, you know what I mean? For sure. So... Um, I've done cases like that, and you know the answer is the answer is really this. Almost none of my cases is a judge, prosecutor, or jury going to say that they don't like my client, they don't like the conduct, and they're curious why is Rosenberg taking that case. And so when we start out in criminal justice, there's a tremendous institutional bias against the people that I represent. I try to have the philosophy that I don't tell my clients what to do. I don't care about what they did because to do my job, I focus on what's the evidence against my client and what is my defense strategy. So yeah, there's crazy shit that happens. But as the lawyer, I don't want to engage in that emotion. I need to take a step back and focus on what's my trial strategy. How am I going to help uh, my client? Well, just emotion in general, right? Emotion in general. Once you step into, uh, uh, dude, we got these fucking, fucking flies fly. here, bro, that are driving me fucking yeah, crazy. That's why you can't open the doors. For yeah, once, but once you step into an, another man or woman's emotional state, you just done. You just done got trapped, homie. You just took the cheese off that motherfucking shit, bro. And you and you, you know, I mean, you didn't trap yourself, bro, because you you can be. Uh, now I'm. Now I feel like I'm obligated. Now I feel like I gotta go the distance. Now it's too late to bitch out of this shit. You know what I mean? You know, I, you know it's just anything emotional, bro. And, and, and you know what I mean? I, I'm speaking from a, out of a glass house, bro. You know what I mean? I am not always perfect on this shit. Do I wanna try and be perfect on it? Yes, I do, bro. You know what I mean? I don't, because sometimes, some days, like, you know, some dude might be having a bad day at work and he can easily get you caught up in that shit. And, mm -hmm. But we need to take a step back sometimes, you know what I mean? And just be like, nah, bro. So here, here are my thoughts on that, is that uh, I have clients who 
are asking for a joint suspension. What we call that is somebody got probation, but we do execution of suspended uh, sentence, execution of sentence suspended. Uh, so that's a joint suspension. And they say, hey, Rosenberg, I don't care, bro. Just give me a joint suspension. I don't give a fuck, five years, whatever. And what happens is something like this incident happens where even if my client is more or less in the right, then who's the guy who gets violated? It's my client. And now he's looking at five years upstate and if he didn't have that, then he would have a moral high ground. So that's why, you know, for my guys, I say, bro, you got to keep it squeaky clean out there the because you're a hair trigger away from CDCR. Moral high ground, baby. Moral high ground, Louis. That's what we got to do. We got to take the moral high ground. Let's take a quick break real quick, bro. I need to get this fucking fly off this table, bro. This is crazy, dog. I mean, quick break. Let's get this fly off the fucking table. We're going to take some phone calls. Rosenberg is going to, you know, uh, tell some stories. Tell us what's going on. Let's, we, let's come back real quick. Take another shot. Some of those are 16 two threes. Uh, some of those are, I had one that's a four, six, eight for a machine gun. So, so the, the homie, different numbers. the homie canine just asked Rosenberg right now is it was kind of off screen, but you guys kind of, uh, the, the feed uh, bled into what we're talking about. I mean, mm -hmm. to your guys' ears, but he asked how much time for a ghost gun? And you said, are we back on? Yeah, we're back on bro. Okay. Sorry about that. Yeah. You put your headphones on. Sorry. All right, so the answer to that is that there are uh, different firearm sections. There's probably, in my opinion, about 60 different possible firearm uh, statutes. So for, let's say somebody has a ghost gun, uh, right now we see a lot of P80s, uh, that's gonna be a 1623. I did a case where my client sold essentially a machine gun to an undercover ATF agent his sentencing range was four years, six years, eight years. I had another case where the guy was accused of importation of an assault rifle into California from Nevada, which is a very common scenario with the Nevada laws and the gun shows. And as I recall, I think his top was 12 years. 12 years, because they, they, they called it import, but he legally bought the gun on another state. But he being did. the fact that he crossed state lines, wow, they gave him an import and he was looking at 12 years? 
Yeah, and then wow. the other thing, a lot of my clients talk to me, and we kind of start talking about the state system, but people sometimes justifiably say, hey, Rosenberg, are the Fed's going to pick this up? Am I going to get inv indicted? And so the answer is, you know, it's case by case. But I will tell you, uh, as they say, best believe, you do not want a federal firearm uh, case. So with the ghost guns, um, there's something that I deal with all the time, which is what I call crime du jour. Crime du jour means this is the offense that all the cops are arresting everybody for. So crime du jour, um, it used to be 10851, uh, what sometimes they used to call joyriding. We saw a lot of stings on that. About six, six years ago, I did a case that was allegedly uh, fentanyl, and they charged it as heroin. Right now, fentanyl is probably at the top of the list of the substances that the criminal justice system hates the most. Cracking so down on that. Besides street gang allegations, and besides it used to be methamphetamine, fentanyl is something that everybody, uh, there's a lot of backlash on that. So what happens is ghost guns right now are the crime du jour. So we, I get a lot of reports, we're reading through it, and most of the firearms that are recovered uh, you know, the homie has his little drill press, and that's basically a gun bench. So that is something that we see uh, again and again, and that is one of the crime du jours right now, uh, summer 2021. Wow. Must, so, there must be a lot of uh, access to these ghost guns, man, you know? Yeah, well, you know... And, and they're, 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 they're building them? You said drill press, so they, they, they're building them, huh? Yeah, so a lot of times we have, uh, and again, no names, no courthouses, but it's common when you buy the ghost gun, it's the uh, receiver, and then you need to put on the barrel, you need to put on the handles, you need to put in the trigger. So what makes a gun a ghost gun is it doesn't have that serial number uh, that they can track. So there's something, uh, whenever a firearm is discharged at a crime scene and there's projectile evidence recovered. In other words, they find a spent bullet at the crime scene. Those are uploaded into a national database that we call Nibin, and it's a way for the government to solve a cold case. So let's say there was a shooting incident on January 1st, 2019, then it, data about the projectiles is uploaded into the database. Let's say there's a shooting in summer of 2021, that same projectile data is uploaded and the, the feds can create a match. It's kind of like a fingerprint or a DNA match. And then the old investigating officer and the new ones, they can start sharing information. So I get cases where we have a match based upon the projectiles, but we're not gonna have a match based upon the serial number of the firearm because that's what makes it a ghost gun. Bro, it's, it, to this day, bro, it blows my mind that a projectile of, of a, a casing or the projectile, there's two parts of the projectile, right? You got the casing, and then you have the, I mean, do they, they, do they get the projectile, the, the, the signature of it from the barrel of the gun? Because is there a signature, is there a particular individual signature on every single projectile, every single barrel that they can, I, they can match from, you know, years apart from each other, where it came out of, what barrel was shot out of? So that's a great question. Um, the first thing I'll say is that uh, I've spent a lot of time on forensic science, 
I use it to the benefit of my client. So let's talk about this. Is there an individual match from firearm evidence A to firearm evidence B? Uh, as it relates to cartridges, a cartridge is basically what we call a bullet. It's got the projectile, it's got a casing, and it has to have the head and the gunpowder. So let's say you've got a nine millimeter, somebody discharges four times. Most firearms are called right ejectors and they typically expel the cartridge from maybe three to eight feet. So when that evidence is recovered, uh, there's something called a tool mark examiner firearm expert and they'll do a comparison between sometimes a test fire and the evidence at the scene. So they use what we call comparison microscope. The problem is, is that ballistics, as it used to be called in tool marks, is not necessarily as reliable as the crime lab, the police, and the district attorney think. So I get that information from my experts. And so the answer is, if a forensic expert testifies at jury trial called by the prosecutor, what is the confidence level in the so-called match? So if you think about DNA, people say that the confidence level is there's a one in 67 trillion chance that the DNA did not come from Rosenberg's client. But the reality of firearms, ballistics, toolmark evidence is that it's nowhere near that. Toolmark examiners are people who basically work for the crime lab and if they had to have like a real engineering or material science degree, I think the uh, profession would be enhanced. So what happens in the tool mark cases is that their expert testifies and they will say it's 100% match and the science just does not support that. So we have fights over whether the evidence will be admissible and if it is admissible, what's the confidence level of the identification. In other words, defendant cannot be excluded. Defendant is included. Um, it's a match, but what does, what's the strength of that match? And it's actually a huge controversial area. Um, and you know, for the lawyers out there, I wouldn't necessarily submit or take it for granted that there is a match when it comes to the firearms. Uh, most barrels are rifled, and what rifling is, is here's your barrel, it's like a spiral, and it has to do with the way the projectile flies out. Uh, they'll measure that, they'll take notes on that. Uh, a lot of people may or may not know, but in our reports, uh, a Glock barrel is typically octagonal, and that's another thing that they'll try to say is an individual characteristic. Uh, when it comes to tool marks, there's two things to think about. One is what we call class characteristics. Class characteristic is caliber, material, um, possibly gunpowder load affecting the uh, FPS feet per second. And then there's individual characteristics, and we fight about this all the time, which are how does the rifling in the barrel affect the projectile? And they test that by the crime lab, does test fires, and they compare that. So the short answer, having said that, is that it depends. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, my boy. I love the way you broke it down. It was hell of interesting, dog. Even though I didn't get, I didn't get, you know, the depend thing kind of threw me off at the end. But uh, that man, that was. I mean, I guess that was well said. You know, it depends on how bad they want you. Yeah. So I have a case from the uh, '90s, and uh, forensic evidence is significant. And so what happens in this case is in the '90s, 
the protocols for this type of comparison was done at 10 power. So basically you have a microscope, which is what we had in you know, elementary school, high school science, and that was the basis for determining the matches. Nowadays, we have access to uh, electron microscopes that can go up to one in one million power. So what I'm saying is that forensic science for firearms identification tool marks is not in the uh, you know, 21st century. In my opinion, they're uh, stuck in the backwater. So for lawyers uh, who are doing these cases, they should not just accept the firearm uh, analyst conclusion that there's a match. There's a lot more to the story. So I think when somebody's hiring a lawyer, what they should look for is an attorney who doesn't make up their mind about the case during a 20-minute consultation because the facts that are supplied to you by the defendant, uh, that's certainly important, but what we're fighting is the government's case. So I would be reluctant to work with a lawyer who you call them on the phone and they say, hey, Rosenberg, I got assault with a deadly weapon for the benefit of the gang, how much? There's no way an attorney should be offering phone quotes because they know nothing about the circumstances. And it really takes a good hour before I do my intake when I know what happened, what are the circumstances, is there video from a citizen app, was this on the news? Um, so when you're picking a lawyer, you want someone who is actually gonna dive in on the specific evidence and then develop their trial strategy. And I think that's why uh, people are dissatisfied with their state appointed or their appointed lawyers. Uh, that's a recurring theme when I do my new client meetings. You know what's crazy about the Citizen app? All the street motherfuckers, that is their Instagram right there, bro. <laughs> it that is. is their Instagram, bro. I have had people on the Citizen app try to add Citizen me app? as a friend. In the Citizen app? Yeah, on the Citizen app. Sorry about that. Did I, did I, do, a, did I do the Mike Tyson? The Mike Tyson? <laughs> I've had them, and it's funny, it's because, like, bro, like, you are no on none of my social media platforms, but you are trying to add me as a friend on the Citizen app, and that just, that tells you, uh, you know, where they're at in their life, possibly. I don't know, you know what I mean? Or maybe, so. maybe they're studying the forensic science, or maybe they're, you know, they're interested on, you know, what's going on around them, right? It makes sense. Let, let me answer this phone call quick. Um, Let's see. Okay. You're on Hoodstocks. Talk to us, man. Uh, hey, what's up, Lucky? <laughs> I called, like, uh, two podcasts ago. I just wanted to say, uh, well, first off, excuse my language, but I fuck with your podcast. Um... <laughs> Uh, anyways, is K I heard Casey on earlier. Uh, honestly, like I think, like me and him would be cool homies and something. Like maybe if he wanted to chill or hang out or something. <laughs> yeah, Casey. Uh, Casey, let's take it over to Casey. Casey is uh, he's single and he's what ready up? to mingle. What up, homie? Come on, homie. Not like that, homie. Just like. He's really cool. We got the same jokes and everything. Like, yeah, I can finish the Rubik's cube in seven point three seconds. Uh, oh, let's go. Uh, yeah, like maybe if you were hiring or something, uh, me and Casey could work on the podcast. Uh, you know, I mean, I can send my resume. Yeah, send your resume in. Uh, DM Casey. Uh, make sure you send some pics along with that resume. You know what I mean? So he knows what you're working with. And uh, he, will, <laughs> he will take it from there. I appreciate your phone call. Thank Bye. you, G. Um, yeah. um, so, so that, so that uh, begs the question, how does one find... A great attorney. 
And before you answer that, I have one more question. Oh, do you? Yes, I have one more question. Oh, okay. Um, no, be, be, you can, and you can ask either or, however you'd like, um, before or after. Um, is it easier to have someone that's hiring you to be honest with you? Oppose, because I had a lawyer one time, mm -hmm. and he was telling me what really happened. And I was very reluctant to not tell him in detail what really happened. You know, I I really felt nervous on sharing that information, you know, and this is a case that I've already been I've already done time for, you know, um, but he was just like, what, you know, what happened? What really happened? And I and I was I didn't tell him the truth. And I know he him as a lawyer, as a professional that deals with dudes like myself all the time. He saw right through it. And honestly, I can tell that he was annoyed by it, bro. He was he was he was offended by it, bro. That I was basically lying to him, bro. In, in an attorney visit, I'm in the LA County Jail in blues. He's in a fucking suit, you know. And I I caught the vibe that he was not very happy about that. Sure, I'll I'll respond to that. And it's actually a multi-part question. So the first answer I have is that there are many cases where what my client tells me doesn't matter. Because what we're fighting, again, is what's the evidence against my client? Can the prosecutor prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt? So sometimes it doesn't matter if my client tells me, hey, Rosenberg, are my prints on the trigger? Because that's only significant in a defense strategy we call identity. So even if there's a discharge of a firearm, we still have other defenses which go to mental state, such as self-defense or imperfect self-defense. So let's talk about what happens if a client goes in and we do a consultation and basically I think that whatever they're telling me is impossibly true, et cetera. If I'm not calling my client as a witness at trial and whatever the client told me is attorney-client privilege, then you can see that whatever they told me doesn't really matter. Ethically, under California law uh, for an attorney, business and professions code, if we know that our client is lying on the witness stand, the protocol is I can say, and no offense, but I can say, okay, uh, Mr. Lucky, tell us what happened. And then I cannot elicit false evidence and I'm not allowed to argue it in closing. Now, you may say, okay, Rosenberg, but I never asked my client what happened. And I don't believe my client will ever testify. If you've got two strikes with gang enhancements, it's going to be, you know, a miracle if you're actually going to take the stand and provide exculpatory evidence. So that's when I say when, you know, sometimes I don't even want to hear it. I want to see the reports. I want to see what happened. Then as we get into the case, uh, they can tell me, okay, Rosenberg, I wasn't at the crime scene, but I was here. But the starting point, in my opinion, is going to be the evidence, the police reports, uh, hopefully not the recording of my client at the station, breaking it down to somebody that he thinks is an OG, uh, but really works for the sheriff's office, for example. We've had that fact pattern. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of that that happens, correct? Yeah. So let's talk about that. We call that a Perkins agent. And I did a post on that. I think I got 5,000 views uh, at the time. So let's say I'm arrested on a murder and they take me to the police station uh, they book me, they do the live scan, they take my booking photo front and side, and then they put me in a little tank. And let's say there's already somebody in there or they move somebody in. 
what I say about the whole incident uh, could be being recorded. So mm. typically what we see is I'm at the station, haven't been to court yet, and then the detectives will come over and possibly provide information, which was what we call a stimulus, stimulation, uh, and they'll, they'll show me a picture of a car and they'll say, hey, do you know that car? And they might read me my Miranda rights. They're giving me information like, do you know this guy, this guy, and that's your car, isn't it? And if I'm engaging with them, then they put me back with the undercover Perkins agent and then I start talking. And so again, I have no statement. I want my lawyer. That's gonna apply to the conversation inside the tank. Now they're not allowed to do that once the case is commenced. And that is when you're in court at arraignment, they have filed charges against you. In that moment, you have your Sixth Amendment right to counsel. But before then, at the police station, the prosecution has not commenced, so you don't have that right. So as my colleagues, uh, the Pop Brothers say, uh, shut the fuck up. I have it slightly differently. Mine is an eight word. I have no statement. I want my lawyer. I have no, no statement. statement. I want no, my lawyer. As soon as you say that to a detective, they're supposed to stop. And they sometimes make little comments. Well, okay, if that's the way you want to roll. <laughs> but, you know, I've watched a lot of in custody interrogations. And then the other thing is that on these Perkins ops, we know we get a long recording and then we get the transcript. And when I'm reading those, sometimes I'm saying, oh man, bruh, 98% of the evidence against you in your case came from your mouth. So, yeah. That's how they I got those. That. That's how they got those kids that uh, murdered Pop Smoke, the rapper. Um, I guess they arrested one of them, and then mm -hmm. his bunkmate or whatever was an informant. So he told like the, he fucking spilled the whole story. It was like a sixteen-year-old kid, but spilled the whole mm -hmm. story, and then they got everybody. Damn. In that way. Loose lips sink ships, baby. Um, yeah, it's I've, still I've, true today. Yeah, I, you know, I've heard about that happening one time while I was uh, um, actively in, uh, I was actually in Wayside at the time. There was a big story going on that was happening in uh, the old county, uh, downtown county jail. And uh, it, it was, was kind of like a, he was like a gang member. I don't know if he took a deal, bro. What did you call it again? What was it? The Perkins? What is it? A Perkins agent is per the person you're talking to, and Perkins operation is the investigative technique that law enforcement uses. Wow. Yeah. So I guess so. It it can be any person involved in that for the beneficial of both sides. Correct. You know, hey man, we need to we'll, we'll drop you out, but we'll take the case off you, but we need you to be, uh, be in here and uh, do this, that, and that. Yes. Right? How does that work? Is that agent usually like? A fellow, like a felon, or is he a, is he a cop? So Who is he? The Who answer is, is it could be both. I've done cases. Uh, there's a big case I have in mind. I can't give too many details. But in this case, <clears throat> they had undercover law enforcement that they took advantage of my client's uh, naivete and his youth. And they put basically a sheriff in there with them. And, you know, they kind of know the logos, so they kind of pumped him up. Hey, bro, no face, no case. Oh, they don't have shit and blah, blah, blah. As my guys would say, whoop-de-woo. And then next thing you know, the defendant, the client, 
is repeating information from the detective, and now someone on the jury might say, hey, well, wow, this guy really uh, confessed. So sometimes there are undercovers who are paid informants. Uh, people call them snitches. I call them paid informants. Uh, and at the level of the Perkins operation, you know, they don't have to necessarily testify because what's significant is what the defendant says. Um, and then when they have a recording, they, they don't need it. And there's another scenario. We had a case, very big case. Uh, again, I don't want to say too much, but it was in district court in Central District, which is the one that's across the street from my office. And they had an undercover who was allegedly from the big prison gang, a dropout. And he set up all these meetings in a little office building where they were recording everything on audio and video. So the facts of that case were the government never called their CI, confidential informant, as a witness. Now, we wanted him to take the stand, right? Bring him down and let us cross-examine him. Trip his ass up. Be Well, again, I don't want to say too much, but we yeah. had a reason to believe that we could have devastated his credibility uh, at trial. Now, yeah. in that same trial where client uh, was looking at a significant number of years, uh, his cellmate testified against him. Oh, shit. Wow. And so this is a person who was facing sentencing level 38, uh, which was very significant. He would have been pretty much washed up. They gave him a cooperation leniency deal, and he had to testify against our client. It turned out our client was the number one guy on the indictment. And I mean, you, you have no idea how much prison gang evidence the jury heard. They saw the little hole in the pipe uh, at an old facility where they run the cord down and then they're talking on the phone. They saw all the movements, the transfers, where our client was and where the snitch was. So notwithstanding that, we were able to secure a not guilty. And this guy was the only guy who was sellied up with our client and he had a lot of extremely damaging information. Mm. So, you know, basically I tell my guys, you know, don't talk about your case, bro. Because they're out there. Well, let me ask you a question, yeah, go bro. Ahead. What do you think? You, I mean, you, you're kind of like an OG in this game, bro. I mean, you, you know, being the fact that you're a criminal defense attorney, bro, I mean, you've never been in the county jail, but you almost feel like you've walked that line because you have defended so many people and you've heard so many stories, bro. You've, you almost probably feel like you've lived the life, so to speak, right? Well, I'm gonna assert my Fifth Amendment privilege and my <laughs> First Amendment right not to disclose controversial uh, information about myself, no yeah. compulsive self-disclosure. F-I-F, okay. Fifth. So, let, me, let, me, let me rephrase that, bro, because yeah, there's yeah. no how, no way am I trying to uh, cross you up or trip you up in any type of uh, shit like that, bro. Absolutely not. Sure. But what I want to ask you, bro, is what do you think is like off the top of your head, bro, if you can throw out a number or a percentage of how many CIs are floating through just like uh, uh, L.A. County Jail, bro? Like, is do the, does, the, does the department of whoever controls that, bro, have to have X amount of individuals in there to get, uh, what would you call it, the intel? Or they would have a particular, uh, a particular pass that they need to go or particular individuals that they need to... Uh, uh, you know, get information sure. from? 
So that is, <clears throat> that's like five questions in one yeah, sentence. Yeah, sorry about that. No, bro. no, but that means that's a sign of an intelligent person who can compress five different ideas into one sentence. So I'll actually give you a pound on that. Thank you, brother. All right, so the first thing is, is let's start with how it should be. It should be that when the attorney visits with their client in the lockup, they can have a secure attorney-client conversation. Now, I've done visits uh, back when, you know, Pelican Bay, uh, before the step down, when a lot of guys were in solitary. And when you go in there, they go through all your papers. There's a camera this way and a camera this way. It's uh, through the glass. And you'd be a fool to assume that you have your Sixth Amendment uh, right to confidentiality. Gotcha. So that's something, you know, I don't want to be the guy, hey, Rosenberg asked me this question, bro, and now it was brought up at trial. You mentioned the difference between intel and evidence, and it's a significant dif uh, difference. So in the CDCR, they have uh, their institutional gang investigators, the IGIs, and they're in contact with a lot of the law enforcement on the street. You know, there's OSS, OSJ, we have that here. And so what happens is there's a tremendous amount of shared information. So, you know, most people I think are aware of that, but they may not know that the guys in prison, the officers, they actually go out onto the street. And if you read, uh, you read Tony Raphael's book, uh, which is entitled Mexican Mafia, you hear about how they started that task force back for a murder in Monterey Park. And so the answer to that is that I wouldn't necessarily assume that you're having 100% attorney-client privilege in the attorney room. Let's talk about the attorney room at Men's Central Jail. Uh, most people probably have never been there. There's one side that's for GPs, and then there's one side, which is kind of the high power row. There's about, I don't know, seven little stations. So what happens when you pull your client out and you're talking, you know, you don't know who the dude is next door who may have orejones. And so there are times when I won't say anything controversial to my client. I'll try to tell you a funny story and you'll see how I can tie it up. Yeah. So BOP, Bureau of Prisons, the federal uh, you know, incarceration facilities, I pulled one of my guys out. Again, I won't say a name, but you know, you gotta take off your shoes. It's like going through air support security. And then the COs there, they give you a stripe of paint which you can show in black light to go deeper and deeper. And in this situation, I had a contact visit and I had some paperwork I wanted my client to sign. No, you have to put that in a little box or tray and then the COs, they'll bring it to your client eventually. So I'm talking with my guy, trying to make him laugh, you know, and there was a couple things that I wanted absolute privacy. So I whispered in his ear and then all of a sudden, bam, the CEO said, hey, Rosenberg, if you want to say something, you know, uh, you can write him a letter. So sometimes I'll talk to my client about significant questions when we're at the courthouse and we can speak kind of freely. Because, face to face through the bars yeah. when you go back there and see him in the holding tank. Right. Yeah. So those are, are my thoughts on that. I, you know, I've worked with some clients who in their in their field they are the experts clients who have been uh, incarcerated say for 30 years 25 years and some lawyers may take the position well hey you know you're the client you didn't go to law school what the hell do you know and what i've learned is that my clients teach me 
uh, on every case every time I go visit. Because remember, the guys who are on the inside, they pretty much have nothing to do except go through their discovery. So they're like this little engine, like a generator that's working, you know, 16 hours a day going over it. And they'll say, hey, Rosenberg, what about this, bro? And then that's my opportunity to learn. The best defenses are always when the attorney and the client collaborate. You get some feedback, yeah. Because, Because like you said, they have 16 hours in a day to review this, this, this case against them. And not only are they reviewing it, the homie next door is reviewing it, the dude on the se- top fucking second theta is interviewing it. I mean, this paperwork is passed around and it's a collaborative of criminal minds, our defendants, right? Um, coming together and saying, hey, yeah, this is, there's, there's a hole right here. This, and then, then they, like you said, the collaborative, they, they bring it to you and maybe it's something that you, you possibly missed, you know, uh, you, you have a workload, a heavy workload of different things, and it's helpful to you as well, right, you know? It is, and then I just wanna go back. I only covered a few of things in your question. So what's up with informants in the jail? How does it work? Um, so there are people who get approached by law enforcement or they approach law enforcement and they wanna do a proffer. That means they sit down with the prosecutor, they provide their information if the prosecutor is interested. Uh, they can offer them leniency, and normally it's with the expectation that they may testify uh, against somebody who has an open case. Are there informants inside the jail? Yes, there are. Um, I've had clients tell me, and again, no names, uh, one of my clients was a, a super cool cat, he's a big guy, and he said, you know, Rosenberg, they put that fool on the bus, but everybody knows, right? So they, they can't get anything because we, we see that guy coming. Um, I've heard a lot of stories, and I I really think the best policy is I would pretend that every text you send, every phone call that you make, and the people that you talk to, that it could be uh, eavesdropped upon because you're in criminal justice. So if you operate at that level, I think you're protecting yourself the most. So are there informants in the jail? Yes, there are. Have those informants been instrumental in federal indictments? Yes, they have. And so you asked about uh, county, and all I can tell you is that I've read Discovery where things like that are happening, and I kind of want to leave it at that. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, wow, this has been so a lot of good information, bro. Good conversation. Um, I have, a, I have a, one of the homies right now that wants to call and I'm just telling him to call back right now. He has some he has some questions that he wants to ask you, bro. You know what I mean? But we'll wait for his phone call. Um, but bro, you are very well versed in what you do. I mean, the confidence level to hear you speak on this podcast, um, and to pos- to for anyone that is fighting the case to have you represent them. I mean, it seems like you'd be the for, you for sure the the good guy to go to. You know what I mean? Uh, it just just because I, I I I look at it like the the way you said it, bro. Like I had this lawyer sitting across from me, and he wanted me to uh, disclose all the information that happened. I was reluctant to do it. 
you know, and he wanted to go upon what was going to come out of my mouth, opposed to the your way you would do it. You would say, well, let me just read the paperwork. Let me see what you have against you and, uh, you know, see how much action we have to work with, you know, with better lack of words again. I'm sorry about that. Uh, sure. But um, and I like that approach, bro. I like that approach. You know, I mean, if, if they can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that uh, you are that guy they're trying to paint. Sure. Uh, what's up, my G? You on Hoodstocks? Talk to us. What's up, my boy? Happy uh, Saturday to both of you. Um, Attorney Rosenberg, I got a question for you. Yes, sir. What can I help you with? Um, it, it's not, it, it, it's kind of a question about what you said earlier and Lucky kind of mentioned about road rage and, you know, everybody's strapped nowadays, right? And I think it's kind of been that way. We all feel that way, like everybody's packing heat. And so my question is this. If you are a convicted felon, you've been convicted of firearm, you know that you can't possess that firearm, right? And so let's just say that you happen to defend yourself, defend your life. Because I, I do believe that even as a convict, you have the right to protect yourself. Yeah, so that's whether, actually... Whether somebody, um, whether somebody... Let me finish real quick, yeah? Sure, sure. Thank you. Whether you're stuck in traffic and somebody, you know, kind of having a bad day, like, like uh, the big dog said, or let's say you're just at the house and somebody tries to intrude into your home. And so my question is this. If I'm protecting myself from my life being taken from me, can I take another man's win? And will I be criminally held accountable when all I'm doing is just protect myself? So that's, that's a multi-part question as well. So the first thing is when somebody is convicted on a felony, what we hear during sentencing is that you must not own, use, or possess any firearm, loading device, or ammunition. And that sentence means that you lost your gun rights. So okay. another part of that question is, if you have a firearm in your vehicle, how should it be secured? Where should it be stored? Uh, and in what condition? So it should be a registered firearm to you, should be in a closed container, often locked. The ammunition should not be in it. And therefore, that combination means it's not operable. And it pretty much needs to be inaccessible to you, which should be the trunk. So the cases where the guys are getting charges are cases where there's a loaded firearm that's accessible to them. So that's something I want you guys to keep in mind. The next thing is that as an attorney, I can't give somebody proactive device, uh, excuse me, advice, uh, basically advise them on how to commit a crime. What I can do is share with you that there are cases that I've done jury instructions on this topic and there are some situations where even if you have a prior felony, you may have a viable self-defense claim. So briefly on self-defense, what is self-defense? Self-defense is a bedrock principle of law, and it has basically two parts, that the defendant actually believed in the need for deadly force. We call mm -hmm. that the subjective prong. And then the objective prong is essentially would a reasonable person uh, person of ordinary caution find that use of force was reasonable. In some cases, it means not excessive. So that's the definition of 
self-defense, and it doesn't require that you not have a prior felony conviction. So when you look at that jury instruction, it does not say, and you're not a felon. I hope that answered it. I, we could probably talk about gun laws, uh, circumstances under which a discharge of a firearm may not be uh, legally sanctioned. But again, I, I, can't, I can't tell anybody here's how to commit an offense, so. No, 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 I, I, I first of all, I know you're a lawyer now because, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was straight up how it was. Um, one more thing I want you to do for us, since a lot of uh, younger people um, do watch this podcast. It's a great podcast. I love what Lucky does. I'm a huge, big-time supporter. Um, I, w I want you to go into detail and tell these youngsters nowadays to stop telling on themselves, to stop posting themselves with firearms and and, and things of that nature because but it I looks think cool. it should be an education too as well for, for these youngsters because I know for a fact that this is happening and they're just incriminating themselves. And I think they won't listen to me, but maybe they'll take you a little more serious because you're an actually educated man who, who is a lawyer. So maybe you should you know, do something like that. I think that would be great for, uh, for the youth because, like I said, a lot of youth does watch this video. And this video, uh, or I'm sorry, this podcast is not always more than violence, but at the same time, it is what it is. And so I feel like it'd be awesome if you could kind of throw your little spill out there to the youngsters to just obviously don't commit a crime, but if you're going to do it, just shut the fuck up and just that's it. Don't, don't be telling on yourself. So I have a, a multi-pronged response to that as well. I'm gonna answer with some stories and then I'm pretty sure uh, everybody will get the message. So the first thing is that anything you put online is publicly consumable. That means it's not private. So I have detectives tell me all the time, hey Rosenberg, you know, you're, we've seen your IG, you hang out with some interesting people. So even for me, the lawyer, uh, they're all up in my IG. That's the only way I can say it. So yeah. Yeah. Is it advisable if you have a felony conviction to post yourself with what appears to be an operable firearm online so that it can be downloaded and potentially used against you? I think everyone in this room and Lucky's audience knows that the answer to that is that yes, it could be used against you. The next thing is, you know, we talk about, uh, people in movies, maybe they have a record, and then there's props on the set, and what happens with that. I know, uh, I'll give a little shout out to my colleague, Nori the Nightmare. I recall she has posts on that. And in those situations, sometimes, I did a crime scene reconstruction where we had to use lasers, and we called the watch commander in the area, and we said, hey look, this is what we're doing, right? It's for a case, this is the defense. So that they know when some neighbor says, hey, they're shooting lasers, what is this? Are these the ninjas coming to kill everybody? That we've explained to that. So I'm gonna give uh, Lauren Noriega, Nori the Nightmare, a little shout, because I remember a post that she had on that. Um, so there are such things as props. So let's say somebody's doing a mu music video, this is a place where I would not want to keep it real and where I would prefer that it be inauthentic so that you not have uh, any difficulties with that. And there have been prosecutions based on that. I don't want to say anything, but I do recall a specific set of facts where there's a shot from the interior of the car and the police vehicles here, and it looks like somebody, uh, I guess maybe I'll try to make you laugh to have the cuete or the blower, and there was an incident like that. The and Fusca. It turned to the Fusca. Yeah. 
Okay, well, <laughs> see, that's how I learned, right? So now I'm going to put that in my uh, toolkit. Absolutely. I mean, and it's, and it's crazy. Hey, hey uh, Trouble, I appreciate you calling in, my G. You have a good day, brother. Hey, yeah. I, I appreciate you, man. You guys take care of yourself. You too, brother. All right. All right, man. Peace out. Punch him back. Yeah, hey, we, big Preston got, from Sick has a question. Yeah, let's. We'll do that right now. Uh, we got Jennifer, the co-host. What up, love? What hey, up, fam? Co-host. What's up, fam? You know what? I, I wanted to mention since you know this is all about defense and legal. You know, people. There's a lot of people that are with you know these guys that have been to prison or or whatever. You know, and that don't have a criminal record and get jury duty like. I think, you know, everybody puts down jury duty like it's bad. No, like you're 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 that only person's peer on that has. jury. You're, you're their only peer. You know, most of the people come from Beverly Hills or Santa Monica or some other area where that's not your peer. Sure. And you and need peers. So let's talk about jury selection, because I think this will answer the question. Um, so normally when we do a trial, we get what we call a peremptory challenge. And what that means is that you've got potential juror number two sitting in the box. You're asking them questions. So we mm-hmm. write notes about them. It comes down like this. I have excluded jurors using my peremptory challenges because they're working. Uh, their husband is a correctional officer or they're the dad of the chief of police or somehow they cooperate with law enforcement and they're maybe biased against my client. So the ones that are really obvious, you know, I can use my peremptory challenge. But the prosecutor has their own challenge. So if somebody's a prospective juror and they've had experience with law enforcement, they may have a negative view of the criminal justice system, they have an uncle they believe was wrongfully convicted, they've had bad experience with police, the prosecutor will exclude those. So what we end up with in a jury pool typically is folks who are a little bit more in the middle from the ones who are potentially really extreme. But I do agree with you, and I've had judges say that performing your jury duty is the most patriotic thing that you can do besides military service. So I I agree, I concur with you. And that's why when we do our trials, I try not to waste people's time. We try to keep it moving because, you know, as the defendant, even though we don't have a burden of proof, we have kind of a burden of reality uh, in order to uh, expose weaknesses in the prosecution's case. So I agree with you. I would say if you get your jury summons, uh, I would comply with it. I would put yourself out there as we have more and more diverse jurors i think that we get uh more of a keep it real jury verdict right well i have one more thing my husband mm-hmm. wants to ask a question one more hey what's up lux what what's up, up rosenberg how are you um, sir I, I i have a question rosenberg are you familiar with the pitches motion mm-hmm. okay yeah I, I wanted to see if you could elaborate on that on, on the podcast because there's you know, you know we all know there's a lot of crooked cops well, and, um, I'm not gonna. Well, one time, okay, go ahead. One time, one, one time, I got I got uh, charged for something I didn't do, and and I asked for a pitches motion. It really helped me because that cop was known to lie and 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 do scandalous shit all the time. So that really helped me for me to ask for a pitches motion. I was just wondering if you could elaborate on what that is, so people that are listening to this and and ever run into a crooked cop and does them dirty, they could ask for that motion, and it might help them. So the answer is that in California, 
police personnel files are considered to be uh, confidential. And that's evidence code 1045.5. So what happens is in order to obtain the uh, contents of the personnel file for an officer, we file what we call a pitches motion. And in the pitches motion, what we do is uh, we have to give 10 days notice. The uh, judge goes in the back if they grant our motion and they uh, can disclose names from uh, the officer's personnel. So we get a name and we can investigate them. I don't take the position that all officers are dishonest. I take the position no, no, no. that sometimes in our cases, it's relevant to a jury to be able to evaluate the credibility of um, a police officer, officer that somebody yeah. else had filed a complaint against them. No, no, no. I, 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 don't, I don't. No, I ran into some cool cops. You know, cops that have let me go, and they, you know, I'm not saying they're all crooked because they're not. But there's like, like a good percentage. You know, maybe like five percent that are. And, well, and, you know, I, I don't have data on that. Yeah, yeah, the, the other 95 are good. You know, it's just that one experience I had and, and somebody mentioned to me about the pitches motion and, and, and that really helped me. Sure. It what, helped me. I can so, just tell you stories. I did a case uh, in another county. The person was charged with domestic violence and resisting, delaying or obstructing a peace officer. And so what happened in that case was I was able to put on a witness who described an incident with the testifying officer, and it kind of helped uh, tilt the balance. And in that case, I was able to get a not guilty on the resist, delay, uh, or obstruct a police officer, which is really in the lawful performance of their duties. So that's nice. how that one went down. Yeah. Hey, Smiley, Jennifer, have a good weekend. Love you guys. All right, all right. Good to hear you guys. Uh, all right, all right. You're on Hoodstocks. Talk to us. Hi, Lucky. We listen to you guys all the time. We love you. Thank you. Love you, too. So I have a question for uh, Rosenberg. Um, so as far as the guns go, if we're at home and I have a gun under my name, but my husband uses it in self-defense, um, can he be charged against that, or how does that work? So I think that's kind of a prospective criminal conduct uh, question. But let's talk about something that's a spin-off and related, which would be a parole search. So what happens in some of our cases is, let's say somebody lives in a home, uh, there's multiple bedrooms, different occupants. So under a parole search, somebody has waived their Fourth Amendment right, and so what happens uh, is that sometimes we get cases where there may be a firearm in the garage and then somehow uh, one of the occupants of the room uh, is charged because they're on parole. So we do have case law that we sometimes litigate where we're saying, look, the client didn't have access to the firearm, the client did not know about the firearm, and under the doctrine of constructive possession, they don't have to prove that somebody actually possessed the firearm Rather, they can show that they uh, knew about it and had the ability to exercise dominion and control over it. And those two prongs uh, can establish constructive possession. And we see that a lot when it comes to uh, incidents inside vehicles. 
So it's difficult for me to answer with um, such limited facts, but that okay. would be my response on that. And then, Lucky, I'm about to wrap it up. So any final thoughts that you'd like me to Thank address? Thank you so much. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you for calling in. Um, you know, something that, something that stuck out to me, bro, you said that uh, they're looking at your Instagram. They as in, you know, people that are in law enforcement, maybe DA, maybe colleagues, right? And they say, hey, Rosenberg, you have some, you know, you have some interesting friends, you know? Um, do you get, is there some backlash you get from that? Well, what I try to do is be professional and courteous to law enforcement. I don't think it helps my clients if you're out there running around, uh, flipping everybody a bird. Um, I've been in situations with uh, homicide detectives and we've talked about different things. So, uh, you know, again, I try to say same game, different jersey. Absolutely, absolutely. We got two questions right here from the guys. You guys want to, you, you want to ask your question, bro? Actually, Lucky, I'd like to wrap it up if we can. So, Nicholas Rosenberg, okay. punching back. There it is right there then. All right, we gone. Appreciate you, my G. Have a good day. What you got going on this weekend? Uh... Just a little R&R. R&R. Okay, it's time for some R&R. Appreciate you guys. We are out of here. Everybody get it for Rosenberg. Let's go.